Hello and welcome to this episode of Demystified as we explore home cooking in a modern world. Hello, Paul. It's been a while. It has been a while. How are, how are you? Things are going a bit pear-shaped lately. Oh, I know. We're okay. Well, you're, you're, you're vertical, yes, so that's, vertical. Always a, that's always a good sign. Vertical, but not... Not pain-free. Not quite yet. No. But we're working on it. Well, it is good to see you because it has been a while. Yeah. And uh, so since we're doing this and there's a microphone between us, I thought I'd ask you a question. Okay. This is always dangerous. Well, no. And I feel a little bit uh, sort of, you know, I'm not sure. But this question is really just about my interest in um, cooking uh, hearty sort of meals at this time of the year. Because in Australia here, and particularly in Melbourne here, it's... Really cold. Really right? cold. We've had a yeah. really un- unusually cold. Although I know in other parts of the world, yeah. cold for them is it's like minus forty with yeah. snow, yeah. and we don't have that. So yeah. I don't feel too good about really um, whinging too much. Yeah. But um, one of my questions is, I I've been making a pie, this pie mix, and I love this sort of standard. For me, it's like blade steak or chuck steak. An equal quantity, you know, I cut all the yucky bits off and the fatty bits, and then I have an equal quantity of meat too. And my favourite sort of veggies for this are carrots, uh, shallots, celery. Yeah. And then I just put in some beef stock and a bit of this and a bit of that. And low, low temp, you know, a couple of hours. Yeah. And normally then I whack some pastry or something on top to make it into a pie. Yeah. And then I thought, well, trying to be a little bit healthier as we're approaching, you know, sort of that age where we need to be a bit healthier. So then we were looking at alternatives. So we tried um, scrunching up some phyllo pastry on top, okay. which looked effective. And um, I'll show you a photo of it later when I can drag my phone out of the drawer I've got it hiding in at the moment because yep. it just keeps ringing. And, um, but... It's kind of feel like it's fiddly, and we don't really. And we just thought, no, next time we're just going to have it with mash, which then makes it not a pie, just makes it a casserole. What's it? Yeah, okay. So, what are the differences between a pie mix and a casserole mix? Because to me, when I when I put the pastry on top, such an old school word it is an old too. school world, but not I just word, word, but yeah. I just love the. I love that sort of meaty heartiness that you get yeah. and lots of veggies and, you know, I love all that. Well, and the, well, I don't think there is a... I mean, a pie and a casserole uh, as in of themselves are different because a pie has some yes. sort of pastry. Yes. Generally. That being said, cottage pie, shepherd's pie, you know, is again a little bit different. Um, so it has a, a lid or a topper on it, I would suggest. Right? Whereas a casserole... Is oh, an edible lid or a topper, yes. or is a casserole? But they're both braises of sorts. Hmm. So, what's the difference between them? I would say a minimal amount, almost none. The core cooking method is like a slow braise. You use stock, you use liquids, you use wine, whatever, and you cook it slowly. So, I don't think there is a a mix. The funny thing is, is I was actually thinking about this the other day because. You're right, everyone gets into this mood and it's sort of set by what's available as far as seasonality, especially with vegetables, right? So if you look at the fruit and veg markets now, there's, you know, a lot of root vegetables and all that sort of stuff starts to become a little bit more prominent 
like now. So there's lots of, I know you don't eat them, but there's lots of mushrooms around, um, you know, beetroot, celery, I have, I saw the most beautiful parsnips I've ever seen in my life the other day. I was talking to the guy at the market and he was telling me about this grower. Unbelievable parsnips. Like, even raw, you just wanted to, I mean, I've never seen a parsnip in a supermarket that is half shriveled and gross looking. And these were like thick and they just, it, you wanted to cook them just from looking at them. It was extraordinary. I was like, holy dooly, I've never seen parsnips so good. It was noticeable. So you're starting to see that and that kind of defines the way we cook. But I was thinking about this the other day because I think we talked about this, about those warm, heartier yeah. types yeah. of foods. The funny thing is, is that you go to India, it can be 40 degrees and they'll be eating cur- you know, curries. Mm. You know, we tend to use braises and curries and things like that when it gets cooler. But in other parts of the world where a lot of these things originate, there's no time of year for them. Like beef bourguignon in France, they'll eat that in summer. I even remember serving that on 40 degree days in Melbourne. People would come in and order it. So it's, it's you know, you, you're sort of driven that way by the season a little bit, but yeah, across the world, we seem to embrace that a lot more. When it gets cold, we start making soups. Oh yeah, I've been doing that. Yeah. I've been doing that for a few weeks. How in summer? Yeah, no, very rarely. Yeah, but across Never, the, in fact. the rest of the globe, yeah. it's, they do. It's just that we don't. And maybe it's because we have such extremes in temperatures where we are, I don't know. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. But to your question, the difference between a pie mix and a casserole mix, I mean, you could really sort of argue about how dense or thick, not dense the mix is or thick it is, how um, like a pie mix, because it's generally going sometimes the content, in a smaller, hmm. smaller pastry case, so you might chop your ingredients up a little bit smaller, but it depends on the pie. Like it can be a big family size pie or a little individual one or whatever. So yeah. you know, I think there's very, as far as the cooking method goes, there's almost no difference. None. No. Because you can make a pie. You can a pie can be anything inside it, right? That's right. Like it can be anything. Like if you want to use chuck steak and onion and celery and carrot, you know, like red wine and throw in some I don't know celery hack or whatever. Like that's a pie. But it's also a pastry. But it's also a cat, a really nice braise or casserole. Yeah. I prefer the term brace. Casserole brings back the memories of like <laughs> 1980s growing up. Remember those packets? Mum would say, sort of, you know, you go, I'd get home from school, what are we having for dinner? Or you'd smell it when you walk in the door. What are we having for dinner? It's casserole. Like there was something, I don't know, there's something, it's a generational thing. But, but remember those packets you used to be able to buy, the savoury mix, you know, and there'd be these little... Uh, sort of salt flavourings and then these little tiny dried up pieces of carrot and uh, and some other forms of vegetable that would sort of slowly reconstitute in the yeah. casserole. Yeah, those were the, the 1970s. The stock cubes were a thing. Yeah. 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 Stock cubes have only ever had one use for me. And that was back when I was going to school and you'd eat them raw to make yourself sick so you didn't have to go to school. Oh. Well, see, I differ with you on that. I actually don't mind stock cubes sometimes. No, I, too. I, I, that's one thing I've never been able to figure out 
I always think it gives a preservative taste to food. Okay. Like you, ta- I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but you taste the preservative. I don't know. I've never like, and I've, I, I think I've very rarely seen someone use a stock cube to make stock. And this is going way back, right? When I was growing up, right? So I'm probably just referring to my mum, but I remember us having lots of stock cubes in the pantry. And they were always sort of crumbled into the brazel casserole mm. or the casserole mm. or whatever. Um, I never knew what was in it. I know they were very salty. Very salty, yeah. But I never knew what was in them. But I don't think I ever saw my mother break it up into a jug of water to make stock to go into something. Do you know what I mean? It was always going straight into something like broken up. And it was always this paste, semi-pasty, dried, but sort of semi-soft yeah, sort of texture. The okay. weirdest the weirdest things I know um, Marco Pierre White the like godfather of modern cuisine got he must have done an uh, ambassadorship or a deal with someone who was doing stock cubes and there's some videos on YouTube they're f- funny to watch because it, you can tell he doesn't want to do it he's just doing it for a bit of extra cash um, and he's trying to integrate stock cubes into his style of cooking and it just doesn't it's weird it just doesn't work I don't know how we got into stock cubes but anyway yeah there was something um, almost sort of set fish food about them to me wow you really yeah yeah okay I'm not against them at all in fact I will if I think something's not that little bit sort of really yeah I will dissolve some in some boiling water and add it into the mix not all the time yeah occasionally I mean I know like I I know for a fact that people aren't going to go making their own stocks all the time. But I think it, at least the next step up is, you know, the the made chicken stocks or vegetable yeah. stocks that you can get yeah. that are an actual stock. They're a liquid yeah, rather than a, a stock cube. I don't know. There's something... I, I, I don't think I've even seen them in a supermarket because I just... I know that you can buy powders now too. Like, I just bypass them. It's like Greyvox. Remember Greyvox? Yes, I remember it. You, you haven't met my uh, family, have you? Yeah. <laughs> my family, that was what they... Uh, except for my grandmother, who taught me how to make gravy. My, um, without doubt, every cupboard I go into, in fact, my even my you know favourite two that um, lived in Wollongong until they recently both passed away, yeah. they would love Greyvox gravy over their... Um, and they'd say, don't worry about making it your way, Dale. Just, uh, if I was cooking dinner, just, um, you know, just <laughs> just use the... T- Gravox is fine. And I'd be, not sure how I know how to make that. Just, yeah. I can't necessarily use that. But you'd follow the instructions and whip it up. And they were really happy with it. Yeah. It's a funny... It's, that's another funny one. I mean, because that's... I don't know... Again, I don't know what's in it. Um, clearly, like, corn flour or a thickening agent of some description. I, I don't know. But I didn't, wasn't interested enough to look, but they certainly loved it. And I thought, okay. But at the same time, I thought if I was to make it my way, they didn't have a lot of the ingredients that I might have used. To make a proper gravy. To make a proper gravy like out of the... Flour, butter, and some, like, water so you can pick up all the stuff off the bottom. Yeah, of no, the they pan. didn't have... And, like, and a whisk. No. No, I don't believe that at all. No, you, you don't If you know. can make gravy box, you can make a gravy. Yeah. You should see. Anyway, yeah, their pantry was. Look, it was. Yeah, I've never, I've never understood those sorts of things. 
and it's not being a snob or anything. It's just I've never understood. Well, with your skills, well, probably not. But a lot of people, like I've seen the way you make stocks, and it is amazing, and it is a beautiful process. But for most people, a packet would be uh, well, because okay, for, a stock, like, can, like a packet stock. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Fine. So I, I do. I if I've run out of stock at home, I've always got, I've you know, what are they? UHT packets, right? Yeah. So they're one litre, they're about yeah. two bucks, yeah. but it's like a very tame chicken stock, totally. or a very light on vegetable stock, but at least yeah. it's not water, yeah. right? So I carry, I have them at home, yeah. right? If I've run out of stock or, and sometimes I'll use them as a, you know, a base to deglaze the bottom of the roasting dish, mm. right? If I'm done a roast or whatever. So I'm not anti them, it's just the, the grey box and the stock cubes and the stock powders and all the rest of it they've just got nothing to do with stock and I think if you're going to make a pie mix or a mm, casserole yeah. like I think a good stock yeah. makes it like it makes it what it's worth I, again you know if we go back to the old days working in the French restaurants we would spend we would make like hundreds of litres of stock every day and then that would a lot of it would be cooked down into sauces and various different things. But they were the base fundamentals of things like the beef bourguignon, which is why it was so good. It wasn't so good because it was great beef or anything like that. It wasn't we used beef cheap, like one of those secondary cuts you can get. But it was because of, you know, the stock that we'd spent time making that, you know, your beef cheek's now cooking in something that you've spent hours making it that was just so much more flavourful and better. So I suppose a little bit snobbish, but I just yeah, I don't I don't get it. Are you a gravy person? I am, and particularly uh, it's funny about it, particularly at the moment. So my partner she loves gravy, like properly. She's like, no, if we're doing a roast, you have to make gravy. Like there's no if buts or maybes. Like if we have a roast and she loves lamb roast, if we have a roast, she doesn't care what else goes with it. Has to have gravy. Absolute must. And how do you make your gravy? Much like everyone else. So it will be the fond off the roasting, mm-hmm. you know, all the bits that catch yeah. on the bottom of the roasting tray. So I always do my roast sitting up on a trivet. So anything that drops down gets caught. Um, when the roast comes out to rest, I'll usually make my gravy in the same roasting tray with a nice deep roasting dish. Um, so I'll deglaze with a little bit of wine, depending on. If it's chicken, I'll use white wine. If it's beef or lamb or whatever. Chicken and pork, I'll use white wine. Beef, lamb and other, I'll use red. Um, and I'll just deglaze the bottom of the pan. I'll tip the fat off first, deglaze the bottom of the pan, get all those nice bits of stuff off the bottom. Then add stock, whether it's packet or not, doesn't matter, uh, but certainly not cubes, cubes. Or powder. <laughs> um, Add stock, I'll bring it up to the boil, I'll let it simmer for a while, I might throw in a sprig of fresh rosemary while that's just simmering away, and then I'll strain that liquid off just into a little jug, and then I'll make a roux, so butter and flour, just a very small amount. Um, in the same pan? No. So I'll pan. do this in a saucepan oh, yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so, because what I've also done at the same time is help clean that roasting dish, so yeah. it's much easier to clean later on. So I've poured all that off, set the roasting dish aside, so I've got essentially what is the base of a gravy it's not thickened yet um and then i'll make a roux and slowly add that in and it's essentially like making any roux based sauce like a bechamel sauce or a white sauce just whisk it in bit by bit and then 
if I think it needs a bit of a kick out the bum, I might add a like a sprig of fresh herb at the end, so a thyme or rosemary, something hard, okay. um, just to give it a little bit of zing. Always check the seasoning, always, like super, super important. Um, and then I usually make them reasonably thin and then prefer to cook them down until they get to like just that, where they cover the back of the spoon. So a little bit sort of viscous and tacky, but not uber thick. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, and speaking of which, like, and I don't often do this, but I was here on the weekend doing some stuff. I actually, for the first time in a while, just thought, uh, I want to just have a wander around the market and think of what's good. And I was over there with our mate Joel and I was showing him where to go and buy his chickens and we were talking about roasted chickens and brining and all this sort of stuff. And I, for some reason, it just washed over me that I wanted a pork belly roast. So I was like, right, um, and now you know how I have yes. done pork belly. Yes. I, there's a million ways I've done it before. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I could hang out here all day and do it in the steam oven. But I was also thinking, well, I've got a bit of time. I want to go home and watch the footy. And I want to do, you know, it was, I'm not super mobile at the moment, so I'm kind of limited with what I can do. So I just grabbed this big hunk of pork belly. And I thought this is an interesting one for anyone listening. So I took the pork belly home and rather than score the skin, I got my carving fork and I stabbed the skin like, 500 million times so lots of little holes in the okay. surface of the skin okay. like lots and lots of little mm-hmm. holes um, I put that on my trivet which went on my roasting dish and put some salt on it no oil no nothing just some kosher salt on the skin and I set the oven just a standard oven to 120 degrees celsius and I roasted it like that for 6 hours 120 Six hours. Okay. Six hours. So it went on at one o'clock. And then uh, at seven o'clock, when I had everything else, so had breast potatoes and all the other palava with it. And yes, I did make a gravy with it. Um, So when I was about ready, all I did was, and I very rarely do this, but I was thinking about, someone was asking me about grills the other day and grilling food in an oven and all the rest of it. I thought, oh, I better just brush up on my, you know, see what you can do with the grill. Um, I thought, oh, here's what I'm going to try. So I turned my grill down to pretty low, uh, but I had the pork belly pretty close to the top of to where the grill elements are. Um, so I put it on low and I put the pork belly directly under the grill. So because it's been roasted at low temperature, right, nothing's really happened to the surface of the skin. Mm. It's actually just dried out a bit. Um, anyway, it... And because that low temperature roasting helped me render a lot of the fat out and it was super succulent, like like different texture to doing it steam ways. You know, we've done yep. roasting yep, coffee yep. steam, we've steamed it mm-hmm. and then pan fried it. We've done a lot of different ways, but totally different texture, but certainly a lot of fat rendered out of it. And um, that last bit of grilling under there, the skin was epic, epically good. Epically good. I'll show you. I think I took a video of it. I'll show you a video later. But an interesting one for people, if they have a bit of time, just, and it literally was just stab it, throw it in the oven, 120 degrees. You could probably do it for about four hours and cover it, and then just very briefly under the grill. And you don't want your grill high, because you just want that radiant heat coming down on top, and it just ballooned up, like, it almost doubled in volume, the skin, and it was the one of the crispiest pork bellies I've ever done. 
Well, just a different technique. Last time I tried that, I think you and I talked about it, and uh, it burnt to a cinder because I had it up too high. Well, you see, this is it, and everyone mm. does that with a grill, so that, that's yeah. one of the things. Yeah. Everyone's got a, a lot of people these days, and a lot of ovens and combi steam ovens that have grills in them, and it's one of those things, and it's much like all temperature-based cooking. Everyone goes to the high grill setting. No one really thinks about those lower grill settings. And they're there. They're mm. usable. So why not find a use for them? That's what ex- ex- exact, exactly what I was looking for. I was like, okay, so if I put this under the grill for a longer period of time, rather than shock it with like some super intense radiant heat, a longer period of time just to, where the heat isn't as intense, what result am I going to get? So, and that was it. And she's it was good. Really? Mm. Excellent. Yeah, it was really good. And it was even still... This is how crispy it was. Even the next day, when I cut some up to go on a sandwich, the skin was still crisp. And that's after it had been in the fridge overnight. Wow. Now you know you've got crispy pork skin. Wow. And it's still crisp the next day after it's been in the fridge. Right. Okay, that's a good tip. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, went off on tangent again about your casserole pie thing, but anyway, yeah. Well, one of my favourite ones when I'm out um, is porchetta. Oh, Yeah. Trying yeah. to, yeah. So, but you I, do, I you haven't. You do that in yeah. a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah, similar way. But, yeah. The, it's a roll in. Yeah. Mm. That slow cooked pork belly over a long period of time. It's quite rich, of course, but delicious. Delicious. Might do something like that on a cooking steak, actually. Well, I think if Dougie listens to this, which sometimes he does, he'll be he'll be asking for one because yeah, you it's know it's. It's uh, <laughs> after all these. Seriously, we are so close to hitting um, for the uh, print-on-demand book, and he. We've checked this book. I don't know how many wow. times. All of us. All of us. And Dougie goes through it and uh, pulls out a hot on, on every single page. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So back to the drawing board tonight. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you, and it's right. good to see you. And thank you for sharing that. And. Um, don't know what we shared, but well, thank you. And another tip on roast pork, yeah, isn't it amazing give how many a, ways you like, can cook roast pork? Give that a go if you've got some time, and that's a literally chuck it in and walk away. You don't have to, and it would have smelled great, yeah. Well, it was a long period of time, yeah. No, but that yeah. would have smelled really nice in yeah. the house watching the footy. And your team did pretty well on the weekend, very nice result, actually. Yes, yeah, surprising yeah. result given, uh, oh, if you're a true believer. Oh please, we all yeah. we all believe in our team until they suck. Until, yes. <laughs> all right. right. Well, thank you for that. Thanks Good to see that. you, Paul. Take care. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Happy cooking. Thanks for listening to this podcast as we explore home cooking in a modern world. We'd love you to subscribe, and for more information, please go to our website, cookingwithsteam.com. Mm-hmm.